welcome to So You Want to Talk About, a podcast where we have critical conversations in an intimate way. We're your hosts, Julian Cambry. Hey. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited about this episode so people can learn a little bit more about you and not so much about me. (laughs) So you want to talk about? Cancer. Hmm. So you and I had had um, a few discussions about this, but there's always more to learn, at least on Mm -hmm. my end. And I think uh, listeners will be really interested to find out about it as well. So um, if you wouldn't mind, could you tell us a little bit about your diagnosis? So I was diagnosed in um, 2018, right before my 30th birthday, and I was diagnosed with triple negative uh, invasive ductal carcinoma. What do all those words mean? (laughs) (laughs) Which means that the cancer was in my milk ducts, and it also means that with, with breast cancer, there are multiple types of breast cancer and there are three hormone receptors uh, on on the breast cancer meaning that three different things can feed or cause a cancer cell to grow mm-hmm. and so you have um, eight uh, her2 positive progesterone and estrogen those three things can grow a cancer cell for mm-hmm. breast cancer Mine had no receptors, meaning that they didn't have any reason or any understanding as to why my cancer was growing. And that's how all triple negatives are. Is there's uh, no hormone that's causing it to grow. It is just growing very rapidly. It's really aggressive, right? Yes. It, it, um, triple negative generally affects younger women, um, women that have the BRCA mutation and, um, I believe black women more than any other group. Um, mm-hmm. and it is extremely aggressive and it has no, no, uh, no known, uh, like causes tre- or yeah, no causes. And, um, because of that, there's no like targeted treatment right. for just those cancer cells. So I assume a doctor told you this, mm-hmm. of course, all <laughs> this information. Um, how did you feel when you got the news? I remember feeling uh, very like devastated uh, because it was such a shock that it didn't feel real. I remember getting off the phone with the doctor, and it all happened so quickly, and they used all these you know medical words that when I got off the phone with him. I thought, I think I have breast cancer. I'm not 100%, which made me feel really dumb for mm. not knowing, but then also a little bit hopeful <laughs> that maybe, maybe yeah. I didn't understand. Yeah, I misread or misheard when he said, you have breast cancer. I think he used a bunch of words, and I thought, that's not... He would have said breast cancer. Right. But he did. It's just I didn't understand fully, and... It's just a slap in the face, you yeah. know, with with all this information that you aren't necessarily ready to process. For sure. Um, so, what did you do after you got the call? Do you remember? Um, I don't really 
that day feels um, super foggy to me. Like mm. when I sit here and pull on it, I, I can't. Mm. Uh, I don't remember much of it. I remember going in the next day to work and having to leave to go to the doctor in the afternoon, that same uh, surgeon who had called me and told me, um, and he walked me through, you know, what would, what would happen and, you know, all these appointments that had then been made for me. Hmm. And I don't really remember that appointment either. I remember him being there. Right. And it just feels super foggy. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine you're in a bit of a haze yeah. at that point. That's definitely how it felt when I left uh, when I left his office, I remember feeling very numb and uh, probably lost is the best way to describe it. Um, and everything was blurry. Like you're just kind of moving through space. You're not deliberately taking any steps anywhere. You're just kind of mm. there. Right. Um, so they, of course, give you this diagnosis and tell you here are your options. Mm-hmm. And you decided to then what? So with my breast cancer, because they didn't originally think it was cancer, um, I before being diagnosed, I had a lumpectomy, and that um, took out this giant uh, tumor, I guess. But they took out what I had felt, and so they didn't get margins, which mm-hmm. means that they took it out as if it was benign. And so they didn't know if there were cancer cells around it. So, um, I had a couple options. Uh, I was recommended to have a double mastectomy, uh, because of my type of cancer Mm -hmm. and the likelihood of it to reoccur within the first three to five years Mm -hmm. in my age. So like, there's all these factors that, that were part of my diagnosis. And because I kind of hit all of these specific right. things. You're young. Um, it is triple negative. You know, the size of the tumor, where it was. They gave me very clear medical choices and uh-huh. they gave me a lot of statistics. So they told me, you know, you could have a double mastectomy or you could not have a double mastectomy. You could. Um, have a single mastectomy, you could have chemo, you cannot have chemo. And here are all of the lifetime, you know, here's the reoccurrence rate if you don't, here's the reoccurrence rate if you do. And I thought to myself, well, I don't ever want this to come back and do this ever again. So what is my, what is my best chance to never have to do it again? And because of that, um, I chose to have a, and I think it's important to to say that this is a choice. Uh, I didn't have to have treatment. I could have chosen not to, I could have said no to treatment. I mean, people do that. And so because it is a choice, um, just like everything, this whole story that I'm telling today, I guess, is, uh, only my perspective Mm -hmm. and all the things that I experienced with it, there will be similarities to other people's stories that have also gone through the same regimen, et cetera. But everyone is 
reacts to chemo and a mastectomy and a cancer diagnosis very differently. And so if you do have friends or family members that are diagnosed or have gone through something, I would just encourage you to ask them to tell their story. Um, because Mm -hmm. this, this is really just from, from my experience. So, so I did, I opted to have, uh, I wanted to survive. So I opted for everything that would give me those odds. So I had a double mastectomy with reconstruction before I had chemo because they wanted to make sure that they had taken all the cancer cells. Then, and they wanted to see if it had spread to my lymph nodes, which would have been a change of, um, potentially a change in medical uh, regimen. Mm -hmm. It had not, so my regimen stayed the same. And then I went through um, 16 rounds of chemo, four rounds of one type and 12 of another. So I spent from April 17th through October having a recovering from surgery and then having, you know, five months of chemo. Hmm. What was that like? What were your days like when you were going through chemo? My, uh, I would say that they were on chemo. It was great. (laughs) The day of chemo was great because I had, it was the day I had the most amount of energy. And so I would, uh, we would, you know, if my parents were with me, which they were for the first four, we would get up and go have a giant breakfast because I needed to make sure that I had eaten beforehand. Um, we'd have a big breakfast, go to different breakfast places all over Des Moines. And then we would get a giant fountain soda of Coke. And, um, I would have lots of lollipops with me and I would go have treatment and they would come with and we'd play games, we'd play card games and, I would end up falling asleep and we'd go home and I would typically eat a big dinner uh, because they give you steroids. At least I got steroids and I was just apparently superwoman, you know, <laughs> right after chemo. So I would eat a big dinner and go to bed late just cause I was, my mind was awake from all the steroids. And then I would pretty immediately crash. So, Mm -hmm. uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, especially on that first round was just very debilitating. I was exhausted, um, heartburn, just lots of different side effects that might seem very small, but they are the most extreme. So they're also on top of chemo. (laughs) Well, imagine, you know, when you eat something spicy and you have heartburn and how annoying that is. Yeah. Now imagine that you've taken two types of heartburn medications and it's still there and it's raging Yeah. and you don't want to eat because you feel so nauseous because you, it just feels like everything's on fire. So all of the different side effects, you know, when, when you go to the pharmacy and the pharmacist says there are side effects with this medication pre chemo, Julie, I would have been like, Oh, it's fine. I'm good. (laughs) You don't have to tell me them. And now I'm like, yeah, go ahead. You can get all of them because now I, now I know what it's like to to have a side effect right. of something, and there were medicines to manage a side effect of a side effect. You know, so 
which just, had his own side effects. Yeah, it yeah. was. Um, it was just very debilitating, and then slowly I would get more and more energy, and then by you know, you know, three or four days before chemo, when I was doing them every two weeks, I felt good, not a hundred percent, but as close to a hundred percent as I could be, mm-hmm. and and then you started all over again. Yeah, all the way through October. Mm-hmm. So it's a very intense mm-hmm. thing to go through, whether with people or without. And like you, you said the word debilitating, mm-hmm. which kind of hinders you from doing um, even the basic things for yourself. Yeah. And before chemo, you know, going through any type of surgery, my double mastectomy, I couldn't go to the bathroom mm-hmm. by myself. I couldn't sit down on a toilet. And if, if you've ever, it's a very humbling experience to have, a, especially your parent, walk you to the bathroom and make sure you're seated and then mm-hmm. shut the door like or wash your hair or change your clothes for you right until you experience that there's just a very high level of vulnerability yeah well it's, it's they're taking care of a baby again i was essentially a baby yeah <laughs> and then i lost my hair and i really looked like a baby <laughs> yeah Um, so you talked a little bit about how they were there with you Mm -hmm. and you know, how that might've made you guys closer. How do you feel like your relationships as a whole changed during all of this? I would say that it either strengthened them or broke them. Mm -hmm. Uh, it went one way or the other, you know, that to me, that really means, you know, my good friendships, I became even closer with because they really they got to see me and I was very vulnerable with them mm-hmm. and so you know when you let someone be there for you and I say that intentionally because I didn't have I could have it would have sucked but I you know could have kept people out right and people might do that but I really I let people be there if they wanted to I let them be mm-hmm. it was a lesson for me for sure in allowing others to like take care and, and support me when I needed it. And then others broke. They um, chose not to be around uh, for whatever reason. Um, I can't speak for them. And, and that is hard to kind of wrap your head around. But at the same time, when you're, for me, at least when I was in it, I didn't have time to wonder why people weren't around. Right. If they weren't around, I, I just didn't have any energy for, for like worrying about it because I, at this point, it was the one time, at least in my adult life, that I only worried about me. Mm-hmm. And, and that was really new for me. And so I just didn't have time to be worried about what was happening with friendships because I was trying to just take care of myself. What um, would you say that looked like when you were, it was kind of Julie first in your head for the first Mm -hmm. time. So a lot less, because naturally, at least from what I know of you, you're very selfless. You're very, um, (laughs) almost how they, I don't mean this in any offensive way, but (laughs) almost how they would describe a grandmother who walks into a room is like, let's make sure everyone's taken care of and then I'll take care of myself. You have that sort of mentality, I think. And so what did it look like when that, reverse just for the sake of survival 
I think that looked less like it was if I needed something I would more likely say it and so I I think that'd be a good question I'd wonder what my parents would say Mm -hmm. um there would be she just yelled at us every day (laughs) (laughs) I remember distinctly being on the couch having my eyes closed because I was very uncomfortable and I think they thought I was sleeping they always thought I was sleeping (laughs) and they would you know be whispering trying to be quiet and that was very you know very sweet of them and considerate and I remember them whispering something about me you know they were talking about me not in a negative way but like should we bring her should we bring her a snack Bebop. should we go to Bebop's again should we get her some some fries I'm just worried (laughs) she's not eating enough and I remember saying out loud I can hear you yeah you can if you'd like to talk with me you know like you can come over here and we can talk about it you don't have to be quiet for Mm -hmm. me and I don't think they would have ever expected that I think typically I would just close my eyes and think to myself oh my god I don't know why they're talking about comedy yeah (laughs) now I would just tell and the same thing um there was a scare that I got I I had a fever later on during treatment and I was really really nervous um I was very afraid I was gonna have to go to the hospital and I was not in Iowa and so medical stuff I couldn't I was just worried that it was outside of my coverage and so it would mm-hmm. be really expensive all the stuff and I remember just having a very like honest conversation with my parents which we would typically have but I think I was saying all the things out loud that I would just be thinking in my head right and so I think that's how that started to change and the same with at school when I needed to take off or I needed to I needed more time with something or whatever it was I was much more willing to say it, even with kids. And I think my students could see it as well, that mm-hmm. I I wouldn't necessarily, I would just ask for what I wanted. I wouldn't give a reason. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> have to explain it away. I would just say, I'm going to do this or I need this. Yeah. And I think the same is true Like with, you know, if I was having a, just a regular conversation with a friend, if they said something that maybe I didn't agree with or that was, you know, sexist or whatever, you know, that it just didn't sit right with me instead of, you know, kind of coaching them or prodding and saying, like, why do you think that I might've said that's sexist period. And get out. (laughs) I think I was, uh, just less willing to put up with someone's bullshit. Right. I think is maybe the best way to put it it's very hard to capture when i'm as i'm thinking about it yeah well i mean not so much in a haze but i think your mom was just going through so much at that point it's hard to remember certain specifics but as you were as we get through october Mm -hmm. and you're coming out of that um and successfully got through chemo were there certain parts of that person parts of that julie first sort of thinking that you wanted to take with you or did you ever feel like okay now that i'm done with this i can't be uh, mean to people anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Can you ever imagine me being mean? Um, probably during chemo. Not mean, just forward. Hmm. Honestly, I think in my head, I was probably more badass than I was in real life. In my head, I imagine me walking into a room and being like, no, we are here for equity. Stop doing this. Or, you know, saying something very like 
You're probably stern. actually saying please a lot. And you're like, okay, if you don't want to, that's fine. And that's still stern for you. <laughs> I think it was definitely, you know, in my head, I was very clear and direct and stern, like you said. And it might have come out much more feeble. Yeah. <laughs> Not feeble, just Julie. Not feeble. So, you know, hiding behind this cancer cloak sometimes was was helpful is a helpful way for me to try out um you know being being more of myself and so I definitely I think I kind of used that as uh, at least in my head you know as a as a way to be my most authentic version of myself during this time Mm -hmm. I mean there was during this time I also and we're not going to talk about it today because it's not about cancer, but um, I also went through a divorce. And so there was also now this freedom to really be me. Right. And so I think that coupled with cancer um, kind of taking off my filter, uh, I, I really do think cancer removed that for me and, and my divorce. And so it was like, you know, 18 year old Julie again in the way that I felt free to mm-hmm. kind of be really be myself um and use cancer as my well like i'm i can just say that because right. i have cancer so <laughs> duh like, uh, it's really... no one ever questioned it no one was like julie stop <laughs> <laughs> because again i i think in my head it was much more extreme than it probably was in real life but yeah I, hopefully they understood but it's interesting to go through so much feeling like you don't have a lot of agency and then being relieved of all the things that were mm-hmm. restraining your agency. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever ever feel, you know, because after you get out of this, you're kind of like, now that I have all these decisions that I can make, not that I have to make, did you ever feel a little paralyzed by all the decisions or were you excited to begin to? No, I was like ready for the decisions. I like <laughs> to make decisions. I'm a decision maker. Is it okay with everyone? All right, cool. All the listeners decide. The I already Are decided, <laughs> but I just want to make sure it's good with you that I decide. Uh, I, I was ready. I, I remember being so, and I only, I mean, the way I think about being on chemo is like a battery and Mm -hmm. the more, the closer you get to the next chemo, the more, the more your battery you have every day, you know, so maybe you're at 50% on Monday and then you're at 60 the next day, et cetera. And interactions with people going on a walk, making decisions, all those things depleted the battery Mm -hmm. and some more than others. You know, there's some people at work, or wherever that took a lot of my energy. Even now. <laughs> yeah. And there, there are things that filled that up, you know, just not as much as normal. And yeah. so when, because I was restricted with that, like, you know, like you said, my agency was given back, but also kind of limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so intentional about the way I spent my time because I knew it was going to be gone. Like this energy Mm -hmm. was going to be gone. So I did things that intentionally gave me energy or filled me up because I really needed to, to have as much as I could. And then I didn't want to spend it willy nilly, you know, I had a budget with it. So, (laughs) and even now I would say you're very, um, intentional for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but just deliberate about time, deliberate about where this time goes. And I guess if that's a good example, you use that if time was this energy or this Mm -hmm. battery, then you can see it being depleted toward people that you don't are not worth it Mm -hmm. might make you rethink how you use your time yeah and I think that it came in all forms 
You know, I was said yes to a lot more things because it, those are the things that I wanted to do. But on the same, you know, same part of that was I also said no way more. Mm -hmm. I don't think I said no as much in my whole life, except for when I was maybe like two or three and I just learned the word. Now you're like, what's this other word? I knew yes. What's no. (laughs) (laughs) And now I say it much more often. Uh, And I think that because I could practice, you know, on chemo or, you know, while being diagnosed, saying no and not having to explain it. Now I, I don't, I just say no. (laughs) Um, And so I think that the thing that I kind of took with me was that intentionality as well as, you know, feeling as if everything was a decision. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we kind of go through these motions of, you know, I, I remember specifically getting my contract for my school district saying, do you want to return next year? And, uh, they, you know, they send this out every year. And I remember thinking to myself how many times I had just signed it without thinking, without thinking at all. And it decided a whole year of your life. Right. And it, and it was such a eye opening moment to me because it happens all the time. You're where mm-hmm. you live, you know, who your friends are, where you mm-hmm. work, any, at the gym you go to, your Spotify account, yeah. right? <laughs> like, I, they, right? These things might be so small, but... But they're and, small because you don't put weight to them because if you make them so frequently, then you're like, it's just a decision that we, you know... It's not even a decision then. Right. It's just going through the motions. So I, I, it really stopped me and it made me think that... I don't Every, want the Spotify account. Yeah, what am I doing? Why don't I have Spotify? Uh, <laughs> those things should be a decision for me uh-huh. because they bring me energy or they don't. And do I want to just roll over into my, into a life after cancer being the same life? Am I satisfied with that? Right. And, and there are a lot of things I was absolutely satisfied with. I had great friends in Iowa. I still have great friends in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to take them with me. But mm-hmm. uh, when I, I felt like I was, you know, that 18 year old just about to graduate, like, where am I going? What's next? All the options are available to me. And I, I didn't feel like, I felt like I would have been given this rebirth, so mm-hmm. to speak. I know that sounds super cliche, but. No, it makes sense. Well, it's a kind of a beautiful thing that you were given this 18 uh, year old openness again, mm-hmm. but you had the frontal Experience. lobe development <laughs> to say uh you know what decisions made sense and also it's kind of beautiful that um i wouldn't call chemo soft by any means but when you're going through it you had this soft landing of i can say no to people and if they are hurt or they are offended i have something to fall back on mm-hmm. um that's not doesn't make the stakes as mm-hmm. scary yeah it was, it was a very risk-free you know situation mm-hmm. but it, it feels good to, to, to have the privilege to have agent, to be able to use your agency. Right. And so having gone through that, um, you just celebrated two years, mm-hmm. cancer free. I'm really happy for you. Yeah, me too. Next year will be even better. Wait till you see the balloon for next year. <laughs> People don't know what we did to celebrate this year. Mid pandemic, but that's fine. We made a way. Um, so you know, you kind of have gone through this thing and we're also seeing some people, uh, even being diagnosed now, mm-hmm. 
that we've been talking to and you do a really good job of reaching out to them and trying to connect with them because community is so important. Um, I know this is a cliche question, Hmm. but if you went back to, are you going to do what I did to you? Do me like that. Uh huh. Let's do it. I'm a reporter now, a very (laughs) cliche reporter. Um, if you went back to February, Julie, 2018, right before you discovered the lump, what would you want to say to her? After you talk to her about me. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like I've been asked this question before, and it is a very common question given to like cancer survivors uh, to help them like process or I'm not sure kind of get their feelings out. And I've always struggled with it. I think mm-hmm. it, it to me and again, I think it's really important to remember that this is just mine because right. I I know that a lot of cancer survivors feel differently yeah. than I do. I feel like that time taught me so much. It My relationships with my parents got stronger. Uh, they were always good, a good relationship, but it, we just became even closer. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I think I wouldn't tell them I was I was just given this this new life I guess not not even a new life but almost like a reset yeah sounds like a new life Mm -hmm. and so I don't know that there's anything that I could tell myself that would have I don't think I would have wanted to change it, right? you know, because if I hadn't done or been through those things, I wouldn't be the same person I am now. And, and so I think I probably would, I would tell her that, uh, she needs to, to, to just listen to herself mm-hmm. and, and to trust what feels right and what doesn't and 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 probably that that it's gonna be hard but but she has people and she's tough Mm -hmm. so uh i'd probably tell her to open up a little bit sooner and to trust that that there will be people there um that will that will always be there and that she doesn't she doesn't need to keep anything from them that they can handle they can handle it just like she can Mm -hmm. thanks for joining us this week on another episode of so you want to talk about we hope we got you talking about it i've linked a few resources for women going through treatment to build community. I've also linked a resource for those who might want to help someone they know going through treatment. And if you would like to support research for metastatic breast cancer, which is the only cancer that doesn't have treatment options, I've also linked Metaviver. For everyone listening, make sure you are also feeling it on the first. I've linked 
a how-to so you can make sure you're feeling up your ladies every month, making sure that all your lumps and bumps are good. We'll see you guys next week.